So we finished the book of Acts tonight, today. I want to just kind of go over something that um, is really a core value of Evergrace of our church. And core value, as you can hear in the name Evergrace, when we were thinking about a name, and boy, did it take us a long time to come to a conclusion. We had like, we had a, we had a list of names like this, and um, you know, we were coming to the conclusion, and uh, it was between either between Grace Transforms or Evergrace. And I just thought, as we were thinking about this word Evergrace, uh, just one verse came to my mind over and over. And before we get into the text this morning, this verse in John chapter one, um, verse sixteen. And on the, on the screen, it's in the, I think, the English Standard Version. But I'm going to read the Amplified to you. I love the Amplified Bible. How many of you have the Amplified Bible? It's a great Bible. And it's very verbose. For out of his fullness, abundance, we have all received, all had a share, and were all supplied with one grace after another. And spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing and even favor upon favor and gift heap, heaped upon gift. Wow, that's amazing, huh? That's ever grace. We have a Spanish word for it. How, how's that? Siempre, siempre gracia, which means like always. It's just ever, never ending. And sometimes people may think, oh, we're just making too much of a deal out of grace. I don't think we can make enough deal out of grace. And... What we do here is we teach expositionally, this team, and um, sometimes one of the traps that we can get into as exponentially expositional teaching is that we get so we get stuck into like a rut, not a rut, but into like can't really venture out and hit other things. But I just want to expand a little bit this morning and just talk about the gospel of the grace of God and what does that mean to us. And I want I, I want the Holy Spirit to really deliver us from familiarity about the topic and deliver us from what we really think that we know about it. But then there's two main points that I'd really like us to get today. And that number one is that Paul considered his life le- was lesser in meaning than the riches of grace. Paul considered his life lesser in importance than the riches of the grace of God. And number two Grace is the motive, and this is really what I want to capitalize this morning. Grace is the motive for what he did for us and what he's doing for us today. Grace is the supreme motive, the eternal motive. His gracious kindness is the motive for what he did for us and what he's doing for us today. And so let's go to Acts chapter Acts chapter 20. And I'm just going to read some verses here. We're going to get a little background of what's happening at this point in Paul's third missionary journey. So let's read this together. And I'm going to, um, I'm just going to read this to you from, uh, let's see. I'm just going to read this to you in very small letters. Okay. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I've lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Now remember, Asia is translated to Turkey. 
serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. Imagine that. Paul is serving with tears and trials. Have you ever served in tears and trials? Uh, we have done that. That happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Wow, what, <laughs> what a great thing to look forward to in the ministry, huh? And then verse 24, but I do, not count, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And we can see his supreme love and supreme respect for the grace of God. This was the greatest message for him to preach. This is the theme of the New Testament. This is the theme of the Bible, the grace of God. This is what God is thinking about. And this is God's only relationship with you and I is within the envelope of grace. And then lastly, let's skip down to verse 32. And this is another theme verse for Evergrace. This is a verse that I just, it's like, if you ever want to guess my password, just put that verse in. <laughs> and now I commend you to the, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to what? Build you up and what? Give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. This is a powerful grace. This is a message that builds us up. This is a message that encourages us. This is a message that transforms us. Um, I just want to look at a few things here just before we get to... Um, where Paul is at, from Acts 19 to the end of the book, we see the third missionary journey of Paul. He's in Ephesus, which is another city in Turkey, which is now near the area called Izmir. And by the way, uh, some of you weren't here, but last year when we were doing Bible studies here, coming down here and just doing Bible studies, um, we had one of our missionaries come with us, Pastor Roger Robbins, young guy, and he's leading a team to Izmir, Turkey. That is where uh, German missionaries lost their lives um, to um, Muslim extremists because they were discipling them in a small room in a very undercover way. And they are there today preaching. Ephesus was really a great work of God. And the whole book of Ephesus is about what Paul taught there. We see that from chapter 20 until chapter 28, Paul goes into a series of three captivities. He goes to jail in Jerusalem in chapter 21. In chapter 23, he goes to jail in Caesarea. And in chapters 27 and chapter 28, he goes to jail in Rome. So Paul is in jail a lot. Paul is in jail a lot. And what do people hear about Paul? Paul said to Timothy, don't be ashamed of my chains. Basically, Paul is saying to Timothy, don't be ashamed of me because I'm in jail and I'm suffering for Christ's sake. Because sometimes when we hear about people that are um, in jail for the gospel, you don't hear the fact that they're in jail for the gospel. So you'll hear, well, they are just a Christian fundamentalist and they're an extremist. Okay? 
we see that Paul is suffering for the gospel's sake. The question for us today is, is why is Paul suffering so much? Why does, Paul, why does Paul get stoned in Lystra, as we looked at last week, and then go right back into Lystra and preach again? Is he out of his mind? No, he's a very intelligent man. He was one of the most incredible Pharisees, and he had an incredible mind. He was, uh, he was mentored by um, a man who was known for uh, his strict and orthodox um, a view towards the Old Testament. Paul was definitely an incredible apostle. But Paul looked at his life as something that was nothing in compared to the grace of God. And I love this perspective. If we had a different title for this message, I would call it the perspective according to grace. When we look at our life according to the perspective of God's grace, things don't seem so big. Our life doesn't seem so big. And our problems and our preferences they seem, to be, they, they seem to go into second place when we understand the amazing grace, graciousness of God towards us. God has been so kind to us, hasn't he? And our life could have gone so many different ways, but it didn't. How many, how many of us today can actually think of where your life would go if God hadn't been gracious to us? I can think my life would have gone right off the rails and into a ravine, you know? That's, I mean, in our marriages, in our families, in our personal lives, we could all testify to the fact that it's, by the grace of God alone, right? Amen? Amen. And I'm preaching to all of us today, today and to myself too. Paul exchanged his life. Paul was so amazed with the, great, with, the, with the riches of grace, he didn't think it a great thing to exchange his life for it. He just said, you know, I'm going to be a martyr for the message. Think of all the people that martyr their lives for the wrong message or even a stupid message. I really read, I read this really crazy story the other day. Have you heard about these people that take selfies and then they get killed in the process of taking selfies? I mean, it's like a, in Russia there is actually, um, in many public places, a large sign that has lots of these red circles with the line through it and it has like these different images of people doing really crazy stuff, taking selfies. Like, don't take a selfie on the train tracks as the train is approaching. Uh, don't take a selfie when you are teetering off the edge of a high building. Uh, this one Puerto Rican musician, El Tsunami, <laughs> died in an accident shortly after taking a selfie on his motorcycle. He had previously released a track entitled, in Spanish, Mi Descontrolo, which means I lose control. That is an example of someone losing their life for a very dumb reason. When we understand the grace of God, an amazing meaning comes into our life, amazing purpose. When I began to understand the grace of God in my life, I began to understand the great purpose of God, that there is a great purpose for me to live and that there, life can be so rich and so full of meaning. Um, what, is, what is grace? When we think about what is grace, um, what is grace when we think about what that means. I mean, it seems like such an easy question, doesn't it? I mean, if we were to ask you today, what is grace? Somebody would may say, what? Unmerited favor, right? Um, God's economy of all of his action towards us. But how about this? When I was studying this this week and just reading what Paul's attitude was towards the gospel, I really see that grace is really encapsulized in a very cool way in a book that I've 
just love this book. Just the title of the book is called Grace by Louis Sperry Schaefer. I don't know if you've heard of this, Arthur, but Louis Sperry Schaefer, for me, is just a foundational teaching and his book called Grace. It's very foundational in what I believe and what we believe as grace. And this is what he says. I'm going I'm to quote him. When used in the Bible to set forth the grace of God in the salvation of sinners, the word grace discloses not only the boundless goodness and kindness of God toward man, but reaches far beyond and indicates the supreme motive which actuated God in the creation, preservation, and consummation of the universe. What is that saying? It's basically saying that grace, the grace of God, is the motive for what he did for us and what he's doing today. This is important. This is an important point I want us to remember today is that God did not do what he did for us because he felt that he was, and we're going to go over three reasons in a minute, but God didn't do, God wasn't gracious to us today because he was tolerant, because he felt bad for us, or because we, he owed us something. God truly loved us. God truly valued us. For God so loved the world. You know what that word love, agape, means? It means to find something very valuable in something. It's like a man finding a treasure in the middle of a, of a huge plot of, of a field. He goes and buys the entire field so that he can just get the treasure. That is the love of God. That is the motive of God's grace. When God gives you and I something, gives us a child or a marriage or a business, or he gives us a vision or a mission in our life, why does he do that? Because he cherishes us. He is so in love with us. He is so for us. Billy Graham said it this way. He said, when we get to heaven, one of the first things that we're going to be amazed at is how truly good God is and the first thing that he said he might say is this I wish I would have asked God and believed God for more and I'm not talking about a name it claim it type of thing I'm just talking about a revelation of how great God is and when we see how great God is we are just in a place where wow I wish I wish I would have just and this is not in a regretful way we'll just be amazed I want that revelation today. I don't want to wait till heaven. I want God day by day, step by step, to give me in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2 that my eyes would be enlightened to the glories of his grace. Because when that happens, we begin to understand that God does what he does, not begrudgingly, but because he truly loves us. You ever get a present from someone and you can just feel the, the motive behind it? Like, okay, he gave me this present because he felt like he owed me something, right? You know, how about Christmas? You know, Auntie Susie gave me, you know, this really expensive shirt last year, so I got to buy her something expensive this year. You know, how many have ever, how many of us have ever done that? We buy something and we do something, not because of true love or because of value, but because of obligation. Well, God did what He did, and He does what us does for us what He does today because of His true. He truly values us. So, let me look. Let's look at three non-negotiables about the grace of God. And this is gonna, I'm going to ask us to think a little bit. Three non-negotiables. I think my wife is out there behind the door. Can we open that door? I heard her coughing. All right. Three non-negotiables about the grace of God. Three things that are non-negotiable. I like that word non-negotiable. Three core values about the grace of God that Schaefer brings out in his book. Number one, 
Grace is not exercised in a payment of a debt. What does that mean? Grace is not... God, grace is not... Um, I'm sorry. Wrong one. Grace is not withheld or lessened because of weakness. Grace is not withheld or pulled back or lessened in your life because of your weakness. Okay? It's a sense of weakness more than anything that causes us to cry out to God, doesn't it? When we experience that sense of weakness, that faintness of heart, that um, weariness in our mind, that slowness to respond to the challenge, when we sense that weakness, it's that sense of weakness more than anything else in our life that causes us to cry out for the kindness of grace. And guess what? Grace finds its greatest power and its greatest glory and its greatest triumph in our helplessness. I like this. Timothy Keller said this. He said that, the, that our weakness, it stirs up the compassion of God towards us. Instead of us living in condemnation and thinking that God's going to withhold his grace in my life because I'm just not 100% today. Maybe I'm not a super spiritual person today. Maybe I'm not posting all the awesome verses on Facebook. Maybe I'm not super, super up, you know, with God. Just remember that grace is the strongest in what? In my weakness. I love, I, I'm so glad Paul didn't say grace is made perfect in my strength. You know, like, I'm really strong today, so grace is really strong in my life. No, how else, let's just say this. Grace is really strong in our life when we are just, when we are just like, God, I just need you so much. And that's when grace is so powerful. That's the first non-negotiable. Grace is not changed in its flow towards you and I today because of weakness. Because grace ceases to be grace if God is compelled to withdraw it or lessen it in the presence of our failure and sin. Grace just ceases to be grace if God has to throttle it. You know, oh, let's pull it back a little bit. You're getting too much grace here. Nope. Pour it on. Pour it on. Here's the next point. Grace is not exercised in the payment of a debt. Now, what does that mean? Grace is not exercised in the payment of a debt. It means this, that our merit or our good works or our great reputation or the fact that I didn't sin for the last four days cannot put God, and if you can do that, that's awesome. I don't know. I need God every day. (laughs) Human merit cannot put God into debt to be gracious. Our works cannot put God into debt to be gracious. Is that awesome? Man is permitted to do nothing until God has done all that his grace designs. Meaning this, our good works or anything that we can do that goes beyond our flesh and our limitations grow out of and are made possible by the gracious work of God. That means if I am able to, I don't know, think of the hardest thing that you, you struggle with to do, loving someone in your family or, or whatever it is, and you're able to do that, abound in that, how does that happen? It's the gracious work of God, isn't it? It's when, it's when and that work that we do the fact that I've planted church, that my wife and I have planted churches in Ukraine and in different places, that, that doesn't incur God to be nicer to me. 
doesn't encourage God to give me a nicer house or give me a, a better whatever in my life. It just means that I had the privilege of being a, a vessel of his grace. So there's no way that we could put God into debt. And that's great news because, because rewards, our rewards, because you think, okay, there's, a, there's another way to look at that. Because rewards at the Bema Seat of Christ for the believer are based on what we have done out of, the, out of the love of God being constrained by God's love through the grace of God. What you and I do out of love, even if it's a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, that's going to be rewarded. I, I think that the Bema Seat of Christ, the, the, the judgment seat for the believer, and I don't know if I like the word judgment seat, I think a better word is the reward seat for the believer, is a is, a, is going to be an amazing event because we're going to get there and, and God's going to be like, and by the way, and he's, he's got like a, a sheet, he's got a tally sheet of like every time you give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, you know, and, he's, and you're going to be like, I don't even remember that. And he's go, he goes, you don't remember that because you did it unto me. And that's grace working in us, right? That's grace working in us that creates good work. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's... Um, it's the, it's the grace of God that is laboring in us. I love how Paul said that, but I labored among, I uh, labored above them all, he said to the Corinthian church. Wow, that's pretty comparative there, Paul. He goes, no, I'm just saying that grace was so at powerful in my life and it was so at work in my life and it was su- such an amazing work that I was just able to exceed all my expectations and everybody else's expectations. And this is what the work of grace does. And that doesn't put God into debt. It just gives us an opportunity to serve because it's never based on works. But it's motivated by love and faith. That means if I'm a mom and I'm just cooking my dinner for my kids and my family in Jesus' name, I could get more rewards than maybe a Billy Graham or something. I don't know. It's, just, it's all about our attitude. It's not about what we do. Attitude, not what we do. Amen. The next thing here, number two, well, number, number three, is that um, grace does not appear. Now, you're going to wonder what this means. Grace does not appear in the judgment of the cross. Let me explain what this means. Grace does not deal with any sin in mercy or leniency. Okay? When we look at the cross, what do we see? We see grace, yeah. We see the love of God. But what do we see mostly? We see the judgment of God, don't we? We see the justice, that cruel, unbending, unnegotiable, that righteous law of God that is just immovable in operation on the cross. We see God's judgment and God's wrath and God's, uh, God's anger all poured out for the sins of the entire world. How much sin is that? That's a lot of sin. Think about how much sin there is in your neighborhood. Okay, just today. This is just this weekend. Think, then think about how much sin is going on in, in Houston. <laughs> okay, just this weekend. How about Houston, ever since Houston became a city, how much sin? Okay, how about Texas? How about the United States? How about the world this weekend? How about the world history? How about 6 billion, 7 billion people today sinning? That's just today. And then multiply that by the infinity, infinite number of days that have already happened. That is a lot of sin that was on our Lord and Savior. 
and that was the judgment of God on him. What was God doing? He was not being merciful or lenient. We are never forgiven because God is big hard enough to remit penalty. This would be a fatal detraction from the meaning of the cross of Christ. When, when God says that he was being gracious to us and loving to us, he just wasn't winking at us and saying, hey, it's okay, I love you, you know. It's okay, don't worry about it. Just brush that under the carpet. In Islam, when you talk about the, the forgiveness of sins, uh, when you ask a Muslim, how does that work? How does God forgive your sins? I've asked Muslims that before. Where is, where's the righteous remittance of, of the payment for your sin? And they will always say God is, God is good and God is merciful and God forgives. He's patient. And they're like, yeah, yeah. Well, Allah is not God, by the way. It's a, it's a demon. But historically, if you read history, it, it's, it's not God the Father, and it's not the Holy Spirit, and it's not the Trinity, it's, another, it's not another name for God. But Islam and other religions of the world, not just Islam, omit the great needs for a terrible massacre at the cross with a lot of blood, all of the blood of Christ being spilled for the payment of sin. And so we don't see, we see grace at the cross as what? As a motivation. We see the love of God as a motivation. But before loving, and this is very important for us to remember that we would never forget this in our doctrine of grace, that God cannot love, God cannot be free to love and be free to be gracious to, to the world without just, justice first being fulfilled. Justice had to be satisfied. Justice had to be, had to be met. There was a huge, huge, huge deficit. And Jesus stepped forward in eternity past and said, I will be the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Slain. That's amazing. So grace does not appear in the judgment of the cross. So that we would not, so that we would not say, you know what? God is gracious to me and he's just overlooking me because, you know, I was just such a good boy last week, you know. And he's going to be, you know, he's going to be gracious to me now. I just want to say that the judgment for our sin has already been the judgment for your sin and my sin and the sins of the whole world and even the sins of the unsaved, believe it or not. Even the sins of the worst person that you can think of, and that should be us. <laughs> well, you think of the person that you think is really struggling in their life with sin, their sin's been paid for. This is the most amazing, this is the most amazing thing to me is that people walking down like we were in Montrose a few weeks ago with some folks. We were just doing ministry down there under a bridge. And just thinking about like these, you know, some of these people, I mean, I don't know, maybe some of them are saved, but a lot of them have just a, a crazy lifestyle. And they're living under their sin. Sin that's been paid for. Isn't that wild? It's like our message to people is like, you know what? You do not need to live under that sin. You just need to believe on Jesus Christ so the Father does not act in gracious kindness when forgiving and cleansing the believer. Listen to this. God is not being kind and gracious when he forgives and cleanses the believer. Okay, He is acting in strict faithfulness to his covenant and promise of eternal keeping. God is saying, you know what? The blood has been spilt. I have to forgive. God is committed to his son's blood. That's 1 John 1, 9. That's 1 John 1, 8, 9. It's 1 John 1, 6, 7, 8, and 9. That because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. Not because of the grace of God. Yeah, grace motivated God. Love motivated God. 
is the expression of a very real repentance and a change of mind happens and there's a turning away from sin. When we taste the grace of God, and there's a lot of theology here we could talk about, and I haven't figured that all yet, out, all that part out, but I just know the power of grace in, a, in, in my life has caused me to turn away from sin. So it's, ca- it's caused me, sometimes people say, well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's God is overruling the will of man to turn away from sin. I don't know. Or, or man in his, in, his, in, his, in his willpower is able to turn away from sin. I don't, I don't know how that all works. I know there's a big discussion about that. And some big words, some big isms out there. All I know is, is that grace is effective and it's powerful and it changes lives today. And, and it's like, I'm different today than I was a year ago. I'm different than I was 10 years ago. I'm different than I was when I was a teenager. Grace changes people. It changes lives. And this is what's so powerful about it. Because grace is not just a theory and it's not just a philosophy and it's not just such a, it's not a key word. It is, it, it, it's a person that's what it is grace is a person it's not a and if we don't if we separate grace from the person of jesus christ then we get into either antinomianism or we get in which is a big word which means just lawlessness or we get into legalism grace is a person and it's the person of jesus christ and this is this is john chapter 1 verse 16 that we that we began with in the beginning of the message that that the law of Moses, with, law, with Moses came the law, but with Christ came grace and truth. And in that grace and truth, we are receiving the fullness of him, grace upon grace upon grace. Kenneth Wiest, in his commentary, says this. He says that it's the picture of it, and some of you have probably read it, but the picture of that verse in Greek is that it's like the waves coming up on a beach, continually cleansing the beach, continually washing the beach with grace upon grace upon the never ending waves of grace that are that are that are washing and cleansing and purifying that beach that is our life as a christian when we wake up monday morning i'm just going to be i just going to god my goal today is just to be take a grace shower grace upon grace because you know what grace is going to do grace is going to instill the fear of god Grace of God is going to transform my life. It's going to teach me to deny ungodliness. It's going to give me a fear that in Titus 2, 10, and 11, and 12, it's going, to give, it's, going to, it's going to teach me the power and the secret. And you know what? Maybe I'm going to fail. And you know what? People are coming out of addictions. You know, there's a process. Get accountable, get, get accountable with someone, but grace is powerful. Let's finish up with this. The motive of grace, and I just want to finish with this, this thought here. The motive of grace. The motive of God towards, towards all men is that of grace alone. Therefore, he does not need to be co- coerced or persuaded. Isn't that great? We don't need to coax God today to bless us. God, please bless me. You ever pray that? How about this? God, please forgive me. God, forgive me. It's like... It's like, yeah, that's like, maybe that's a prayer of, of desperation. But guess what? We go to God, and we're like, God, I know I'm forgiven, but I just got overcome by something that was killed 2,000 years ago. And I'm just going to step into the, the blood of Christ that is continually there, and I'm going to take a shower of forgiveness. 
God doesn't need to be persuaded or coerced. Sometimes, you know, the prayer of Jabez and these different prayers we see in the Bible, God bless me, you know. I love those prayers. And I, but it's like, it, the question is, is do we need to coerce God to be good to us? Do we need to plead with God? Sometimes we read like parables in the book of Luke, and maybe we can talk about this at another time. We, we see the, the widow that has no money asking for bread for, you know, and won't leave, won't stop asking until she gets it. There is that type of prayer. But we have to understand that when we don't see the goodness of God happening in our life or when something's being withheld, it's one of two reasons. It could be because of spiritual warfare. And number two, it could be just that God's working in my life character and and, and the, the, the need to learn how to be patient and wait upon the grace of God. There's one of two reasons. It's not that, like, okay, I've been a bad boy and then God's withholding his grace. No, that is just, that presents a moody God that's just with moods. And it's just another picture of man. We don't need to co-act, we don't need to coax or persuade God. I just think that God's motive is so kind and gracious in our sanctification. Why, does God, why is God so passionate about our sanctification? First Thessalonians says that the, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Sometimes grace lovers look at that verse and they say, well, that's a little, it's a little legalistic there. No, it's not. When we look at the full spectrum of grace, we see that God is so motivated to give you and I a life of blessing and victory that he does not want us to be entangled up with the affairs of this world system. God wants to give you and I and give our kids and our teens such an amazing life. They don't even realize it. And that's why sometimes when, when God says, be sanctified, be holy as your father is holy. He's not saying that, okay, do your best to do that. He's saying, this is the greatest life. The sanctified life is the greatest life when we come out from among them. And we live a life with God because of the power of his grace. It's the, it's the grace of God that keeps us. And it's the grace of God that brings us home to that place of the bema seat of Jesus Christ. And I want to make this last point. Grace is more than love. I love this. I read this yesterday. Grace is more than love. What does this mean? Here's another quote from Schaefer. Grace is the limitless, unrestrained love of God for the lost, acting in full compliance with the exact and unchangeable demands of his own righteousness through the sacrificial death of Christ. Grace is more than love. It is love set absolutely free and made to be triumphant victor over the righteous judgment of God against the sinner. Grace is greater than love. It has been set free, unrestrained, to bless the believer who chooses to walk in that forgiveness, that finished work that our sins have been paid for. And we are, when we are quick to confess our sin, then we are back in that, but we're back on the track of grace in our life to experience the limitless, unrestrained love of God. When I look at young people sometimes, and you know, I'm thinking, we were down at the NASA Space Center with my wife and I and, and Martin um, in April yesterday. Was it yesterday? The day before yesterday. Thursday. And I just thought, you know, there's so many fun things to do here. Why don't we take some of our teens 
and just like go down to like I'd like to go down to the zoo next month and just take some of our youth like 14 between 14 and 18 or 13 and 18 maybe take a couple chaperones with us me and Wes could just go down there and just take a, a few guys and just see the zoo and grab some food and just hang out with the teens because they need to know how much how valuable they are you know they need to know like how valuable they are they need to know how much God loves them you know that they are valuable that they mean very much and this is what grace does what's our personal application as we close when grace accepts us as we are but it is not content it is not content to leave us that way grace is like I love you so much I'm going to change your life <laughs> I'm going to leave you the way it is you know I, you know, I, 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 you are so awesome. You're so valuable. Get out of the mud and just live in the castle with the king, with God, because grace accepts us as we are, but is not content to leave us that way. And you know what? We are not the agents of change. The word of God is. It's the grace of God. The word of God changes people's lives. The word of grace that is able to what? <coughs> Begins with a B. Build us up and give us an an inheritance among the sanctified right and number two humility and confession is the door to experiencing God's grace motive when we lose sight of God's grace and we lose sight of that sense of my life is such a gift everything becomes a work system doesn't it we we just become nasty people (laughs) we just become people that are like you know I don't know. The other day I was ordering a coffee and I was just like, I just, this nastiness kind of, I was like, something wasn't right. And I was like, I drove away. I was like, wow, that was really a Christ-like attitude to that lady at Starbucks. And I just had to humble myself and confess like, God, just give me the spirit of Christ. And I began to think about this humility. True humility sees everything in our life as a gift. And you know something, when you give and you are very giving to people, and they just stomp all over that and they walk out the door. Don't worry about that because the flesh never perceives the grace of God. It just doesn't perceive the grace of God. You, I know, I know, I know stories here. Many of you have done great things for people, maybe even in your own families. And if people stomp on that and walk out the door, it's a great opportunity to, to identify with Christ because that's exactly what happened on the cross. It's an opportunity to be like Christ and to express the, the grace and the nature of Christ, because their sin has been paid for. Does it mean I compromise with their sin? No, it doesn't, because, because when they're living in sin or when they're living in pride, they're blocking the grace, the grace of God in their life. And at that, that moment, moment there, might, there might be the need for some strong words or some sharp words or some strategic words to break through that barrier of pride. And then when that pride is broken, that's when the grace of God is just poured into that broken vessel. Because a lot of times, as you and I both know, we don't need to try to break people. Life does a great job doing that. God does a great job with that. And I, I don't need to manipulate people as a pastor. I can just trust God that down the road, life's going to happen, right? And they're going to be like, and we're here to pour in the grace of God and to lean into their lives when they come back. Amen? Let's just close in a word of prayer.